Coming up on today's show... Gronk is a cheater. Well, at least on Zoom. Tom Brady plans to play long enough to throw Andrew Hawkins' son, Austin, a touchdown in the Super Bowl. Is Martellus Bennett right that all players and coaches suck? Or is it just me and Hawk? And a Super Bowl preview that you will not want to forget. But you likely will. All of this and much, much more coming up on another award-winning Super Bowl edition of The Tomahawk Show. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the world-famous, Oscar-winning, Emmy-nominated, Nobel Peace Prize Award under consideration, Tomahawk Show. I am Andrew Hawkins, joined as always by my man, 50 Grand. You know him as number 73 in your programs. You know him as number 1,363. I botched that snap count. It was pretty um, close. Off by a zero. As long as my checks aren't off by a zero, you can screw up my <laughs> consecutive snap record as much as you want, Mr. Hawkins. I'm sorry. Only one of us has it tatted on its ass, and it's not me, Joe. <laughs> Joe, how you doing today? Matt, that uh, tattoo's got to be really uncomfortable when uh, <laughs> you're around your family. I'm doing really well. You know, it's been an interesting week. I've um, enjoyed doing some of the Super Bowl lives. The NFL Network uh, wisely has put together the dynamic duo, the Batman and Robin. You and I have been going back and forth on some of the Super Bowl live shows, which has been enjoyable. But I definitely am like a little bit sad when we do get to get together um, in this virtual world because it reminds me of all the fun that we've always been having in recent memory at these Super right. Bowls. Um, and no better Super Bowl than what we were able to do last year on NFL Network when we had all the big important guests and NFL Network just handed the keys to their car, handed the keys <laughs> to their Mercedes to the Tomahawk Show and being able to see you beautiful children in person um, it just makes me sad that we're not able to do that this year. But uh, hopefully next year's Super Bowl is back to the good old days where we're partying uh, and we have ridiculous stories of us not being able to get into parties <laughs> or <laughs> just good stories about how we're getting so old we can't stay up anymore to go to the parties. Yeah. Um, so hopefully next year will be a little bit better. It is. I'm sure it's cool for the Tomahawk fans to be watching us just grow up right in front of their eyes. Um, last year was a lot of fun, man. I mean, to think about where we started the show with like a little um, like fold-out table and had to steal, <laughs> steal I, I believe it was a Players Tribune's spot on Radio Row because they didn't show up. So we just – Thanks, Players Tribune. Just just set up shop as if it was ours to, to, to literally be in the, the – the center of attention on last year's Radio Row was dope. So, yeah, we do miss that. Me and you on the NFL broadcast has been cool. I feel like our shows, anytime we're on a show together, whether we prep, whether it's, like, thought out, they're just really fun, man, because we have yeah, that chemistry. And I'm not just saying that, like, you know, to butter ourselves up. But I think it's the self-deprecating nature we both have in those environments that people aren't used to. And it's like as soon as the show starts, we, I mean, we haven't talked about anything Joe, you're up. Joe automatically starts making fun of me. Or if it's Hawk, you're up first. First thing I do is I make a, a joke, literally making fun of Joe. And they're like, what the? And then we all laugh about it. And then every, it, it eases the tension for everybody. And then the shows are better. Um, yeah, the one, the one thing that is funny about those shows is that, uh, especially around the Super Bowl time, is NFL Network tries to collect all of their f top talent or you know, however you want to talk about it. Right. They want to take 
because there's only one game. And so they take all their talent and they kind of throw them on different shows. And so you get different collections of people. And mm-hmm. sometimes you're, you've got five, six people. And, you know, it's like a Zoom meeting right now. It's not like we're all in person. And so um, it can be a little bit stiff and awkward, especially at the beginning of those shows, because right. sometimes you haven't worked with those people. But, um, you know, just like the, uh, the popular girls in the lunchroom, you and I seem to always gravitate to each other on those shows. <laughs> and pretty soon it just becomes the Tomahawk show. Every show uh, on. on Zoom meeting on NFL Network and everyone else is looking at us like, hey, can we say something? It'd be fun if we could participate. So We literally you know, turn every show we're on to a podcast. Yeah, it's a podcast. So That's if you're, uh, you know, listening to this right now, I'm not sure when you're consuming this, but uh, go back and watch reruns of NFL Network Super Bowl Live. <laughs> it's the best thing you could possibly do getting ready for the Super Bowl on Sunday. It's funny. I remember a couple Super Bowls ago um, – Nat was there. Where were we at? Where was that at? Was it Atlanta? No. Yeah. So Atlanta. last year was Miami, and that's as far back as my brain can remember. <laughs> All right. So it was Atlanta. We went, and Tomahawk Show was there in full effect. We were doing the, the Twitter set, I believe. Yeah, that, that was cool. Yes. Thanks. I think Nat hooked that up. So shout out to Nat. How did you make that happen, by the way? <laughs> I basically did all the work there. <laughs> oh, you did? No, I give you a lot of credit. No, no, How did no, you make I, that work? I mean, it wasn't just me, but. Um, yeah, no, it was really fun. We had the whole Twitter studio basically to ourselves, and we had the big name guests rolling through, and it was really fun. That was fun, man. And we still couldn't get into parties. That was the crazy thing. <laughs> we all went to, where did we go? We went to, I think, there was like a bar stool party, I think we all went to. and then, But Shaq was having oh, a yeah, huge first. party afterwards. Uh, and Joe was there, and he was so confident. Oh, I'm on the list. I am. Oh, I am on the list, bud. So, and I'm making all my calls, yeah. trying to get on the list, because everyone's trying to get to the Shaq Super Bowl party. It's like the it party now. And of course, I'm. I'm actually with my agents. They're like, oh, we'll just go. We'll get you in. We'll get you in. We get there. I mean, it's not even. They couldn't come within 40 yards of the damn door mm-hmm. yeah. isn't that isn't that what the agent always tells you oh yeah yeah, i'll get you a no problem no problem <laughs> and then pretty soon it becomes nut cutting time when you get up there and there's the seven foot bouncers looking you in the eye going exactly i don't know any andrew hawkins i never, never heard, heard of any joe thomas of never heard of the guy <laughs> you mean the you mean the r&b guy yeah i love him but you don't look anything like him son <laughs> he's already in the but, party you're a liar yeah, you're a no. fraud yeah, but they, that Atlanta barstool party um, was probably one of my top five parties of all time. It was like the first time they did the rough and rowdy. It was like the boxing party with the DJ, and it was it was pretty awesome because, you know, the fat guy. I was still pretty overweight at that time. That was like right. I think that was maybe the year I retired or right after. But um, they had like an all you can eat buffet spread, all you can drink, and they had a bunch of. Uh, idiots boxing each other knocking each other's lights yeah. out and they had a dj it was it was a pretty cool scene and uh, i definitely and you were sitting all the way food. at the top in your we, suite uh, i was in my suite it was really yeah. fun um, joe, but joe, then joe found a way to find the vip in a vip party yeah it was it was great so hopefully they come back to that but um this year, a little bit different. Uh, however, there's still a lot of fun things to talk about as uh, we talk about Super Bowl week and all the fun conversations and the drama that's going on. And one story that I saw that was kind of funny is, of course, Rob Gronkowski, right? He's like everybody's favorite 
doofus in the NFL. And uh, he's got funny stories, though. And he said something this week that I, that caught my attention. So apparently, right after he signed with the Buccaneers, they sent him like a workout because apparently in this offseason um, – you, you couldn't do anything in person and the strength coaches were trying to get guys into shape. And so they would send you this workout and then you're supposed to record yourself like doing the workout to prove that you did it uh-huh. and then send it back to your team so that they could kind of monitor, of course, big brother and figure out uh, exactly were you working out? Were you getting in shape? And the story from Gronk was that he didn't really want to work out a bunch. So what he did is he would do part of the workout, record himself, and then he'd go and change his outfit, go to like a different area of the gym, and then do the next day's workout, or at least part of it. And then he would send all those different clips on the different days to the strength coach so that they thought he was like, wow, Gronk's really working out. He's every single day <laughs> he's sending us these clips. And I was just curious because I know receivers are super lazy. Yep. Did you ever have to do anything like that during your off seasons when you were getting ready, Hawk? Or were you always grinding and you were making sure that you were right on schedule, getting nah. your body in tip-top shape for the season? I could get in shape for a season in, in two weeks. I was like – I would be like, damn, camp is in a week and a half. I haven't run at all. Mm. It is time to get in shape. So I would just do three a days for for seven days where I would Whoa. run a bunch of gassers, take on lunch, run a bunch of gassers, nighttime, and I would literally get in shape in like four days because I would do two weeks worth of work in five. So mm. that's what I would do to get in shape. The Gronk story reminds me of – and somebody that I somebody else that I told this story uh, – uh, my guy Paul PR, he reminded me as when he seen the Gronk story. Uh, when you would go on workouts, the most tiring thing we we might have talked about this a million times. Uh, but when you go on workouts, it's the most tiring thing. Now, Joe, you've never worked out for a team because no, I never did. Like I feel like that was one of the great blessings of my career, being only in Cleveland and never having to do yeah. like the tryout stuff because the tryout game is brutal. It's almost like oh, it's um, worse. the combine or those individual workouts that you have getting ready for the draft where a team wants to bring you in and it's not necessarily as much about like how in shape you are but they just want to see what type of mental toughness you are and if they can break you yeah it's it's the worst it's like it's like the it's like the nfl combine except instead of 300 people it's one person it's like, <laughs> and it's like 10 coaches they're and like they're, i'm not getting tired yet. it's the same amount of drills so yeah you it was definitely a blessing you never had to work out you barely had to practice even for the team you were on, so that, that was, was awesome nice. too. Another um, blessing. But when you go out and try out for teams or they bring you in for a workout, you know, you run the 40s, the Patriots would have you run the shuttle, uh, you got to do uh, routes, you got to do these, like, drills. They're, like, seeing all these things, but basically you don't get a rest. There's not like, hey, run this route and take a, a, a minute break because they're trying to do it quick, so you just run everything back to back to back to back to back to back to back. And so I was explaining – that I got kind of I got smart after a couple workouts that I would do something and every time they would explain something to me I would explain it back to them and ask for confirmation. <laughs> so it was like, "Hey, we're You're running a, a, a 10 yard in here. Give me a 10 yard in." And I'm like, "All right, no, so when you say 10 yard in, are, are you <laughs> how do you are you breaking down at 8 to land at 10 or do you start your breakout at 10 oh, to land at 12? Oh. Like what's your oh. No, it's just a 10 yard in." 
All right, now when you like when you plan out of it, is it a full drop your weight situation? You want me to put a foot in the ground and do I come downhill? Because in my last offense, like when I was with Shanahan, he liked to preach us to come downhill. Do you guys preach? Yeah, that? he liked he liked his receivers to drift downfield and yeah. uh, allow the defense to be able to intercept the ball. So how how many times did that work <laughs> before they started to smell you out and were like? Man, th- either this guy is buying time like a pro, or <laughs> he's totally a moron and asking the dumbest questions of all time. And we got to get him out of here. No, I think I think they bought it. They bought it every time yeah. because it would be a mix. And it's like, all right, so you want me to take a yak angle, or do you? Okay, no, because it, it shows a they're like, oh, this guy is graduate level thinking, but it's really yeah, me right. buying time. I'm like, yeah, all right, let me let me tie my shoe real quick. <laughs> oh, an- another shoe tie incident. Yeah. What was what was the worst thing that you had to do in any of your workouts? Because I, I imagine that you worked out for like four or five, maybe six different teams throughout the course of your professional career. Well, no, because, (laughs) you know, I'm a big fan of yours, and I understand how much you had to grind and work to get yourself uh, in in the door and to be able to, you know, put yourself on uh, the the Mount Rushmore of NFL slot receivers under five foot six that finished their career with the Patriots (laughs) but didn't win a Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, it's a a short list of us. I mean, there's there's no pun intended. Can't be that many people. Yeah. Um, Okay, so the weirdest – thing in a workout i've had some weird shit happen in workouts man i went to i worked out for the Bengals first out of canada i know this yeah all of my workouts might have been weird to be honest i was a scout with the lions and i got called by the jets to work me out as a corner so my first nfl what? workout was at strictly at corner no way so i was a corner i was doing bump and run i was doing like Literally, I did. A, they they flew me in to work me out as a corner. That was my first NFL workout with the Jets. So, do they have you going one on one against another receiver if you're working out as a corner and bump and run? Like, I can understand as a receiver, you run out, you're doing routes on air, right? Like that makes sense to mm-hmm. me. But when you're a cornerback, outside of doing like some drops and you know flipping your hips and trying to change direction and maybe doing those agility drills, like, what can they have you do without? matching up against a receiver and seeing how quickly you can react to the different routes that you're seeing and how quickly you can identify based on split and stem and, uh, you know, how many steps they're taking and where their hips are breaking down. Like, how much can they learn from a workout watching a cornerback? Um, I don't know if they can learn anything, especially for me because I wasn't oh, a cornerback. I, I, I can I can, <laughs> I can, do all the drills, and they're going to be like, damn, you're quick, you're fast, yeah, yeah, You want me to do that pro agility again? I'm pretty quick. Yeah, I, I, did the pro, I did a 3-8-4 at that pro day for my pro agility. <laughs> oh, my God. So then they so – to, to, I think – I mean, I'm 5-7, so they were probably like, – I'm oh. not even going to make my first turn in 3.8 <laughs> seconds, and you've done three of them. <laughs> so they, they, they had me do, like, bump and run drills with the coach – and he's, like, playing the receiver, but he wanted me to, like, you know, I'm small, so he probably wanted to see a strength thing, but I don't want to jack the coach up. So if I if I would do anything right. differently than that, I would have just f***ed the coach up because that's what they were looking yeah. for, but I don't want to ho- hurt this old-ass man, so I'm not thinking about it that way. So that was my first workout. That was weird. The next workout, I worked out with the Bengals. That was pretty cut and dry. Nothing weird about that, except my brother showed up on the sideline, and I didn't know he was going to be there because he played for the Bengals. I didn't tell him about the workout, and he called me pissed off and was like, well, I'm going to the workout. And I'm like, no, don't come to the workout. And, of course, he's on the sideline for the workout. (laughs) So that was weird. The next one was the the weirdest was the Rams. The Rams was weird because there was only one person. It was only one person. Mm, taking you knew the, they really loved you. When they, one they person. The lowest member of the scouting rung to go watch your workout. And there's he he threw me the ball, but he couldn't throw. He wasn't like a quarterback. <laughs> he wasn't one of those, like, 
Mm. He was an older, he was an old dude. He's taking me to the routes. He's throwing the routes. It was the stupidest thing I've ever done in my life. They ended up signing me, not because I had a great workout. At the end of it, he said, how did your Bengals workout go? I said, yeah, good. They actually offered me a contract this morning. So he was like, oh, okay, but then we'll offer you a contract. That was literally. Which which proves the point right there that the workouts are completely idiotic and they mean nothing. Because the people that are watching typically, they're not even the coaches. They're not even the decision no. makers. They're just these other guys that basically have nothing better to do during the day. And they're like, oh, might as well go watch the workout, and, you know, bring this guy in. And really, when it all comes down to it, the GM already has this big, long list of priorities. Like, hey, right. if we have a slot receiver that get injured, this is the guy we want first. And then this is the second guy. Exactly. And this is the third guy. And as long as he shows up and shows willingness to participate in the workout like that's enough desire for us we're kind of desperate so i guess we'll even take a guy like andrew hawkins who's a five six slot receiver even the guy like andrew hawkins that they cut after one day but next workout last one i'll talk about was the patriots workout that was weird for a lot of reasons number one belichick doesn't run the 40 he does a shuttle so that's his thing. He's done it for like year, like ever. What's the since. shuttle? Is it the pro agility? The, the pro five agility five? shuttle. That's all. Like so that's all he does. That's the only testing he does is the shuttle. Like and it's like a heavily weighted thing, a part of the workout. Like apparently he's like, let me see. Everyone runs a shuttle. That's what they do. So what do you what do you think he's trying to learn from that? Because he knows what your speed is. He knows what your pro agility time is. Because everybody runs it at their pro day. Everybody runs it at their combine. So it must be more about like he just wants to see if you're still as quick as you were when you were coming out in the draft, right? Yeah. Like, because presumably quickness is what you lose the first when you get older. Right. And it can also maybe show fatigue or what type of conditioning you're in by just running the pro agility and comparing it to what you ran when you were in tip-top shape coming out of college. So that's what I would think because other than that, there's really not anything you're going to learn from making a guy do only the pro agility. I think it was just more of an apples-to-apples apples thing over time. Like he has a bunch of people like – I think that's like his biggest probably question because he gets a lot of older players, right? And he probably yeah. understands that, okay, top line speed at whatever age, like let me see where, where his quickness is. That tells me probably more of anything to your point. Um, Brian Flores took me through my workout, and I lined up for the pro agility. This is right off the backs of me graduating from Columbia, and I had like this my, – on my, my graduation hat, I put just as uh, smart as I am quick, 4-0 GPA, 4-0 shuttle. And Flores is like, all right, now, I, I haven't seen that, that picture. Let's see if you really got that 4-0 shuttle because if yeah, I'm telling he everybody. He did his research. Wow. They didn't give me the time. Patriot way. But I ran the shuttle, and he was like, oh, shit. He must, yeah, he really does have a 4-0 <laughs> shuttle. He's even faster. He yeah. ran a 3-8. I think I did uh, run a 3-9 at least. Yeah. Speaking of Patriots coaches, um, there was a lot of shade thrown this week in the direction of the Patriots coaches. Uh, Danny Amendola. Mm. Great. The greatest, maybe, slot receiver in Patriots history. Oh, man, that's a slap in the face for everything I've All done right. there, but go ahead. Uh, he was asked this week about the Patriot way, and um, his comments were extremely disrespectful, in my opinion, because he responded by saying, Tom Brady is the Patriot way. None of those coaches have anything to do with the Patriot way because all they did was basically spend a lot of time watching film and putting the players in position to succeed. And so when everybody should think about the Patriot way, they should think about Tom Brady. And I was just curious, you know, being that you are you are yeah. the Patriot way, in my opinion. If yeah. they would have asked me, I would have said Andrew Hawkins is the Patriot way. But, <laughs> um, I, was, I was interested because you played a similar position to Amendola. I don't know yeah. um, if you were maybe exactly in his position when he was there. Yep. Um, but 
I was interested what your thoughts are on the shade that potentially Danny Amendola threw to the Patriots coaches and basically everybody in that organization except for Tom Brady. I think that a lot of people feel that way. and Not maybe that specific take, but they have. Who's a lot of people, though? Like a lot of the players? A lot of the players that come out of there, especially the older ones that left the way Danny did, they they leave with a distaste in their mouth because I think the the Patriots just in general, I mean, it's it's – it's it's no surprise. There's no fun there. There's no love there. There's no, like, hey, you're here to do a job. It's literally on the front of the door when you when you come to the facility. Do your job. That's all that matters. We're not friends. We're not pleasantries. There is no – you will never play your way um, into a certain affinity with the, the, the organization. Tom Brady couldn't even do it. If Tom Brady isn't going to play his way into a certain affinity and they're still thinking about moving on from him, like, what could you do? And I feel like a lot of players, like the Wes Welkers, the Randy Mosses, you know, you come in there and just like trying to impress a dad that never tells you he loves you or shows you any affection, you think that you can achieve something and actually win their love over. And when you do it and that doesn't happen, you are soured by it. And they still say, no, we want to sign you for the league minimum. And no, we'll just go get another player if you don't agree to what we want. So specifically in that situation, I remember coming in and, again, nobody knew mindset, my mindset, which was, I ain't going to stay here. Like, I, I knew very quickly that I was over, you know, that part of my life and, you know, my knees hurting. And, you know, I was actually in the shape of my life to go back to the, the workout thing. So I had, a you know, I was quick as hell. I was fast. They're throwing me on the board every day. But I think – what I didn't know at the time, I believe Danny maybe was like a free agent and they just signed him to another like basically shit deal for what he kind of was bringing to the team at the time. You know, but their thing was, hey, if you don't agree to this, then we'll go replace you. So in, a, in, in some respects, they kind of brought me in to basically push him and show like, oh, we'll, we'll, be, we'll be grooming the next guy as soon as you don't X, Y, and Z, right? Mm. And – Again, I, I don't – my mindset was, like, not there. If I, I was more like, oh, yeah, not me. I, I ain't going to be here. So, yeah, <laughs> you ain't got to worry about me, Daddy. I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm finishing yeah. up these OTAs and I'm getting the hell on. But, you know, I mean, that's – but that's how it goes. It's like, no, no, we'll, we'll replace you in front of you. Like, nobody is more special than this. And so, you know, Danny's sentiments, I think, are, were shared by a lot of people when, like, the Wes Welkers left, the, the Randy Mosses left. You only have to come in the Hawks situation – you know, because I, I loved my time there, and they 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 so appreciated me, right? And we have such a good relationship, me and the Patriots, because it was just an electrifying three and a half weeks. So not yeah, everyone leaves on my terms, Joe, is what I'm trying to get at. Yeah. Well, I, I think you make a great point. First of all, I want to say that Danny Amendola's comments, to me, I think sometimes you use hyperbole and disrespect to elevate your voice and to grab attention and give yourself a platform. If Danny Amendola hadn't been so disrespectful in his comments towards the Patriots coaches and in a large part, a lot of the other players that played for the Patriots that were a huge part of setting up what is the Patriot way and the championships and the Super Bowls that they've played in, I think his comments probably would have been largely gone unknown. And clearly he has an axe to grind and he uses hyperbole in the in the fact that we all can understand that Bill Belichick is the greatest coach of all time and all those coaches and all those players had an enormous part especially early on in laying the foundation and teaching Brady what the Patriot way was from the beginning like Tom Brady wasn't a first round pick that came in and 
told everybody the TB12 method in New England and turned New England into champions. Like, Belichick already was the guy that had a roadmap for success, and he taught his work ethic and his process and his intelligence to everybody in that organization, including those coaches. They bought in, and then Brady, in my opinion, was the one that kind of shepherded it from those first couple Super Bowls to where we were last year when he finally ended up leaving. But I think a bigger point is, and this is – I would love to hear your thoughts, but – I think in the NFL, there's sort of this unwritten rule between players. It's almost an unwritten contract between players and the organization that I'm willing to show up. I'm willing to sacrifice. I'm willing to put my body on the line and take away years of my life and give you part of my health long term if I'm going to be rewarded in the long term. And the only way you reward players in the long term is you pay them. You show them love through good contracts and fair contracts. And I think for years and years and years, You've seen the Patriots not hold up their end of the bargain with players, right? They show up. They do everything they can. They sacrifice for those championships, for those teams, for those organizations. And then when it comes time to pay them or even keep them around, even when they're still playing really well, the Patriots are famous for getting rid of guys before they start to hit the downward slide towards the end of their careers. There's no better example than Tom Brady. And finally, players get fed up with it, and a lot of times they leave with an axe to grind. They feel like they were used and abused and that the team never held up their end of the bargain. That's why Tom Brady left, right? He'd been taking a pay cut for decades to be able to allow them to try to build a great team around him, and they never were able to build that great team around him. They never were able to give him those weapons that he had always been asking for. And finally, he said, enough is enough. Fool me once. Shame on you. Fool me twice. Shame on me, right? That's exactly what it was. That's why all these guys have left um, over the years because they felt the Patriots never held up their end of the bargain. And I think that's why you heard Danny Amendola come off the top ropes with the disrespect and the hyperbole. But you, my friend, (laughs) you you flipped the script on him. You left while they still wanted you. Yeah, I I, I end this relationship. You don't end this relationship. You don't kick me out. I leave. That's how I do it. have you seen you've seen the social network movie, right? Uh yes. Actually one of the few movies I have seen. There you go. So the social network is, is a is a funny movie to, especially to watch now, because I think at the end of it it says Facebook is now worth seventeen billion dollars or something like that. Facebook is now worth like a hundred. It feels like a trillion. Yeah, it's, it's like, like they literally world domination. Kind of a joke. Um but in the story, it's basically, you know, and it's a narrative story and, you know, hyped up for film, but it's people saying like, oh, oh they want to know who had a hand in building Facebook. And my thing is always, it's the proof is in the pudding. So you put it as Belichick taught Brady the Patriot way. I would say I disagree. I don't think the Patriot way was born until Tom Brady comes in and wins that Super Bowl. Like you can't teach a six round pick to be Tom Brady. I don't give a damn how good of a coach you are, how great of an organization you are. It's never happened. It never will happen. Tom Brady was just Tom Brady, and nobody knew it. So I would say that they both had a 50-50 hand in building the Patriot way. And the best part about it is the proof will be in the pudding, right? When Mark Zuckerberg breaks up with his co-founders, the people that say he's, that stole his idea, what have they done in the business world? And what has Mark Zuckerberg done in the tech world, right? So it's very clear who was the brainchild of Facebook? Because as you went your separate ways, where did it go? 
And that's what we'll get to see with Belichick and Tom Brady. Whereas right now, it's looking like Tom Brady, I would say, now has a at least a 55% share of the Patriot way. And, and, the, no. and, Tom, and Bill Belichick has a 45. And we'll let the well, years I, go on to continue yeah. to define itself. I think you're I think you're way off. I think early on you've forgotten how great that defense was and how great that run game was that Bill Belichick put together and he built that foundation on defense and with the run game and allowed Brady to develop into the quarterback that he is today but clearly they wouldn't have had the success long term without Brady because once Brady became Tom Brady after a couple Super Bowls like he was the one that carried that entire organization and that's why we saw the long-term success and the incredible dynasty that the Patriots became whereas all these other teams they just fall off the map after they win a championship because they don't have a Tom Brady in their organization so I I disagree on that I, I think that uh Belichick was like 90% responsible in the beginning. And then after a couple years, it became Brady 90%. And then the coaches 10%. Why and I think, do it with I think it's showing it. I think it's showing it right now because we've seen what happens when Brady leaves new England and how crappy they are, even with Cam Newton, who's not the Cam Newton of old, but he's still not a bum quarterback. And then we look at, Oh, Tom Brady goes to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Oh, they're in the super bowl now. And they're, probably not going to win but they're still in the Super Bowl his first year he took a team that was seven and nine that didn't even make the playoffs and took him to the Super Bowl the very next year and I think the reason that they didn't win a Super Bowl with Drew Bledsoe but they were in one they played the Packers in 97 in the Super Bowl um, with Bill Parcells and they were a really really good team defensively and with a run game and that that's really what carried Brady early on yeah, I mean Drew Bledsoe is a incredible quarterback. He's not like just a run of the mill guy. He's not. So if that defense and that Patriot way was so incredible, they should have been able to do what they had done with Tom Brady with Bledsoe. Bledsoe was not an average quarterback. He was above average. He was one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. One of the best quarterbacks of his generation, and they weren't able to do that. So, you know, I, right. my, my follow up question to you would be, why do you hate Tom Brady? But we'll move on to the next. <laughs> why do I, okay. The, we'll, the next we'll thing, on. more importantly, more importantly, uh, now that I, uh, my love for Tom Brady has really been shown because uh, I'm a known Patriots hater. They beat my ass every single time we <laughs> played him, and I still hold that against him. I'm super bitter about it. And I hated Brady by association because he was the uh, leader of those beatdowns. <laughs> but now that he's in. Tampa and he's having fun and he's proven to the world that you don't have to be miserable in order to win. Those two things are not mutually uh, exclusive. Yeah. No, exclusive is the wrong word. Mutually tied together, mutually dependent. Maybe. I don't know. Um, (laughs) Those things are not mutually dependent and you can work hard. You can be committed to your craft and you can have fun. That's what Mm -hmm. Pete Carroll has been telling us for a long time. And finally, the Brady leaves the shadow of Tom, uh, of Bill Belichick, and he's able to prove to the world with him and Gronk that, hey, this winning thing can be fun. Um, so I do love Tom Brady now. But Brady just mentioned this week about how, hey, may, maybe I'm going to play till 45. Maybe I'm going to play beyond 45. Hawk, is there any reason for us to doubt that Tom Brady can play at this level until he's 45 and beyond? Um, I don't think there's any reason to doubt. I think he's now he's in that world where he's a coach, he's a GM, he's a player, and he understands anything he loses on the physical side, he'll make up with talent around him or putting himself in that situation um, and having uh, influence on the the decisions that are made up top, as well as the play calling. Like, no, he'll he'll be good until he retires because 
you know, if he's 46 years old and he's even, you know, worse than what he is now, he'll just go try to get an even better receiver to make up for the, the, the slack. I mean, he has an incredible receiving core. I mean, uh, Mike Evans might be the most underappreciated receiver in, in, in an NFL tenure. I mean, all the guy does is go for 1,000 yards every year. And not only that, where, you know, Johnny Manziel, you know, who was my guy and was a good quarterback in college, definitely deserving of the Heisman. But when you look back and understanding what you know now, he was tossing that shit up to Mike Evans, man. Like, Mike yeah, Evans. He was throwing Hail Marys. And Mike <laughs> Evans was making that look easy. And that's all he's yeah. done. He's an understated guy. He doesn't talk a lot. You don't hear from him. So people don't appreciate him the way he does. But, yeah, Tom Brady is sitting there with the Antonio Browns, Mike Evans. Those are two Hall of Famers. Um, Rob Gronkowski, that's a Hall of Famer. Chris Godwin will be a number one receiver somewhere else, right? Like, so – I, yes, I think t- Tom Brady, long-winded way of saying, the guy yeah. definitely will continue to play at that level. So as you get older, the reason guys drop out of the NFL, you know, outside of just injury, right? You're, you're just hurt. Mm-hmm. You and me, like, we couldn't go anymore. But if if you're not just banged up and hurt, the reason that you retire or you drop out from the NFL is either you can't perform at that level anymore or you're not willing to put in the longer hours that fighting age takes. Yep. Like, to be able to get ready when I was a rookie in the NFL, like you were talking about earlier in the podcast, two weeks, that's what it was for me. So after the season was over, which in Cleveland was right January yeah, 1st. I was going to say, It was New February. Like, and then like it was March. <laughs> Basically, I didn't do jack squat. And then two weeks before our off-season workouts would start, I would start doing a little bit of lifting. I would do bench. I would do squat. And I would walk on an in- inclined treadmill with a weight vest on. Mm. And then maybe like the week of, if we had a conditioning test or something, I would run that conditioning test a couple times. And then when we started, I'd be good to go. Like, that's all it took. But then middle of my career, I, I started getting a little bit older. I stopped being able to take any time off in the offseason. And I had to literally almost train from the season, the time the season was over through the beginning of OTAs and offseason program. And so the reason I bring that up is because as you get older, the amount of time it takes for your body to get ready each and every day just gets bigger. And you get to a point, everybody gets to that point where the time commitment to your craft, especially in the off season, mm-hmm. is just too much and you don't have enough time in the day or you're not willing to sacrifice time with family, time with friends or any outside hobbies. And so you're ready to step away. But Tom Brady, he has shown to us that the most important thing in his entire life is competing as a quarterback in the NFL. That's the thing that gives him the most satisfaction, the most uh, emotional rewards, that there's really not a lot of other things in his life that he has developed that he really misses, that he's not willing to sacrifice anymore. And I think about uh, Joe Paterno, right? He was a guy that always said, why would I retire from coaching? I'm a coach. I don't like to golf. I don't like to go fishing. There's nothing else in my life that I love more than coaching. And there's really no sacrifice for me to go spend an extra hour at the office because I'm either just going to go home and go to bed or watch TV or do something else that's worthless. And I see Tom Brady in the exact same uh, mindset. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have anything else that he would rather be doing than playing quarterback. So he's always willing to give a little bit more time. And so I really, now that I've been able to watch him be so successful into his early 40s I'm saying there's nothing that he has to sacrifice to be able to play into his mid 40s and then maybe even to his late 40s because he's going to be willing to put in more time and more time uh, and until he gets that 
big injury that just limits him, which as a quarterback and the way he plays the game doesn't seem to show up very much. Right. I have no doubt that he could maybe even play until he's 50 years old. Oh, my gosh. I think nobody wants to see a 50-year-old Tom Brady play. As good as he's played this year, I will say nobody's – I don't know, man. I think he's just – he's able to defy logic because he's the first player in NFL history that's willing to sacrifice but I, as much as he has. But I don't think anybody cares anymore. Like, we're talking about him now because it's the Super Bowl and the playoffs, and we kind of have to, but during the season, Tom Brady was not a topic – he wasn't a top topic of discussion. Like, we were talking about – even what Deshaun Watson was doing and Russell Wilson was letting him cook for a while and Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen and, you know, all these players. Like, it was like everyone collectively moved on from being infatuated with Brady, even though he was in a new spot. So I think that's the craziest part that I'm telling. I don't just – we barely talked about him on the shows we had. Like, there were guys that we talked about every single week. Tom Brady was like an afterthought blip. Like, people just collectively were like, we're going to a new school quarterback. So I'd be curious to see how that plays out if the guy does play till he's 50. Yeah, but I think that works in his favor. Like yeah. He's never been a guy that plays quarterback for the attention. Right. Like he plays quarterback for the competition. Right. He just loves being out there with his guys. He loves every part of it. He loves the TB12 method. He loves practice. He loves training. Yeah. The dude does not drink a beer in March because he's training for the Super Bowl the next February. Same. Like, there's no amount of sacrifice that is not too great for him. Family, friends, lifestyle, food. There's <laughs> nothing bodies. in his life that gives him the endorphin release that football does, and it's not even close. And so he's willing to give up anything in his life. And I haven't seen an athlete in any sport in my entire life that doesn't have one thing that they were really just kind of enjoy off the field that can even compare to what they do on the field. Yeah, I got a question for you because we talked about Josh McCown being answer interview uh, for a head coaching job last last show we had. Do you think anybody would even raise an eyebrow if Tom Brady was offered head coaching jobs as soon as he retired? I think there would be a little bit of pushback because I don't think there would be I an realize- iota of pushback. Not a no, single like, iota. Stop cutting me off, Hawk. Because this is the reason why. Because no matter how much success you've had as a quarterback, and the quarterback's the closest thing to being a coach, and no matter how old you've been playing like Brady into his 40s, you, you're basically a coach on the field. You're a coach in the meeting room. I mean, Bruce Arians has even said, hey, we just let Tom Brady coach. Like, I get that. But there's still a lot of parts of being a coach that happen when the players aren't in the facility from managing the other coaches and dealing with the schedule and learning how to delegate responsibilities and dealing with the owners that as a player you've never had to deal with and so you've never been exposed to that side of things. And even though Tom Brady probably has the greatest likelihood of being able to handle it, it goes back to our argument of what makes the best head coaching hires. And it's not like one guy for sure is going to work out and one guy for sure isn't going to work out, but you look at their experiences dealing with those situations that Mm -hmm. make a good coach. And because Brady has never had those situations, there's more of an unknown of whether he's going to be successful or not in those situations. And I think it would be a really good thing to bring up those th- those topics that, hey, Brady's never sat in that seat that a coach has to sit in. And so he doesn't have that experience. And so, well, I think he probably could have success as a coach. There's other guys that would have a better opportunity and uh, more likelihood for success because they've experienced those day-to-day struggles of being a coach before. I think what I, I, I think everything you said is right. I should start there. Um, I think the caveat is 
this is it's like it would turn into a free agency situation to where yes you know i guess some people would push back i wouldn't be one of those people because if tom brady goes and let's say he's a quarterback coach for a year does then that make him eligible and like Worthy of being More a head eligible because at least you've at least you've dipped your toe into the day to day role of, right. of being a coach and not being a player because you get a different level of respect when you're a player. Like Hawk, you walked into your receiver room even in New England when nobody knew you, and they were like, "Oh, Andrew Hawkins. He's played six years and he's been around. He's done this and this, mm-hmm. and he's out on the field with me running those routes." So, like, there's an instant credibility that you have as a player that even though Tom Brady is the greatest of all time, as soon as he puts that coaching hat on and he hangs up those cleats for the last time, he's not doing those drills with those players. And he's not a player anymore. And it's it's not exactly perfect yeah. anymore. Like, you are when you walk into that room and it's like, holy shit, Tom Brady is my quarterback. Everything he says is gospel. Like, there's there's going to be a little sliver of, of what Tom Brady says when he's coaching that guys are going to be like, eh, but you're not doing it anymore. I, I'm going to try. And that's hard for players to be able to recognize. And that's part of the struggle of moving to retirement. I'm you're gonna, not a player anymore. You're I'm, a coach. I'm going to trump you there because right. I feel the exact opposite. When we were in oh. the locker room and even in my small time there, he was like a coach. He had that level of respect. People. I'm saying he's like a coach, but he no, isn't a coach. I know he isn't a coach, he's but still I guess wearing the player hat. I don't think it would be if he went to a player. Players wouldn't be, would be like, oh, we don't respect you that way because you're not a I'm player. I'm not saying they won't respect him, but they respect him a little bit less than when he was a quarterback, when he was sitting in that meeting room, when he was throwing those passes. I actually it's was just the more, way it is. I was more scared of Tom Brady, messing up for Tom Brady, than I was Bill Belichick. I know because he's playing, but I'm, that's my exact point. You just made my point. Thank you. Because he is the player that the entire organization is relying on for wins and losses. There's no more important person in that entire franchise than the success and the failure of that quarterback because Sounds everything like coach. revolves around that right arm. The head coach does not have that type of an influence, and I think I just won this argument, so we'll move on to the next well, topic. Hold on, hold on, which hold on, hold on, is, hold on, hold on. no, this no, is no, a perfect no, no. transition. No, you cut me off because I, I, I had a follow-up question. Right, so when I ahead. asked if, if him being a quarterback coach would then qualify him for to be a head coach my yeah. my next point was going to be that in that situation we saw it happen with uh zach taylor in cincinnati he right. was a quarterback's coach in la so in that situation what are the number of teams that come to tom brady and ask him to be the head coach and if you're an organization aren't you going to be like well i'd rather get him right now if the pool is if he retired right now and said he wanted to be a head coach he would get probably every team would interview him He'd probably get, I would say, at least two offers. And then the next year, if he's a quarterback coach and there's eight head coaching vacancies, he probably gets five, yeah. six offers, look, and then so on and so forth. Look, I, I, agree, I agree that there's going to be a lot of teams that would want him. And I think your initial question to me was, will there be eyebrows raised similar to what happened yeah. when Josh McCown interviewed for the Texans job? And I said, I still think there will be eyebrows raised because it brings up a legitimate question. How do you coach when you've actually never, never, ever been in that sole coaching position? And I think while the chances of him having success are still pretty good as a head coach, 
the fact that he's never coached, that should still be raised in those interviews. That should still be raised if he gets hired. All right, Tom Brady, we can agree, probably has a good chance of being a coach at some point down the line because he is just Mr. Football, and that's the only part of his life that he's developed, and he doesn't really have a lot of other things that he loves uh, outside of TB12, which is kind of football in, in the long run anyway, but... Uh, Martellus Bennett had some interesting comments on Twitter this week. Uh, basically, he was talking about how football makes you a bad person and they develop you from being a young child into being this bad person with bad intentions and that um, a lot of the players that seem to be great people on the outside and that the public and football fans think are great people are actually huge jerks and He was a guy that played for the Patriots. I'm not sure if you guys overlapped at all, but I was interested to hear what your thoughts are on if you think Martellus Bennett is onto something here that all football players are actually huge jerks. Not all football players are huge jerks. Absolutely not. Not all football players clearly have the same feeling he does. I know a lot of them that do, that do feel kind of that way, and I know a lot of them that feel the opposite way. My my thing with any of this is always people – think that their opinion is it because and it's not to say that their experience is not valid or it's not but it's true, an opinion but it's like it's, it's not it's your experience facts. right it's not yeah. it's not your experience that overlaps everywhere so i if i going through his tweet thread which i didn't go through it because i have shit to do but i like skimmed there were some things that i'm like you know yes this may be exaggerated but i think this thing is true or i think oh yes i think that's a greater part of the game that people don't realize one of them being I forget the exact words, but he said some some coaches, a lot of coaches are egotistical. I think he called them small heroes, um, <laughs> which is the, the term he used in the tweet. They love the spotlight as much as players. And I think that is, by large part, a, a lot of coaches are like that, for sure. There are, I think the, I- the best coaches just care about the ball, but there are some, you get into the, you know, so many of them that, again, they want to be, kind of known like the players do. That's a true thing. Yeah, but my pushback to that is if you look at any profession across America, if you're one of the best at what you do in your field and you're making the millions of dollars that NFL coaches are making, so you're the highest paid and you're the best in your field of expertise that also happens to be the most popular entertainment business in the entire country, mm-hmm. Like you're probably going to have a pretty big ego and Part of having that ego and that swagger and that confidence um, and that success is walking that line of thinking about how important you are because that's what raises your standard and raises your level of play and provides the motivation to make you the best and keep you as the best. And now some coaches have less of an ego than other guys, but if you look into, let's say, the, the best doctors in the world, the best lawyers in the world, like all those guys are at the top of their business. They're making the most money and they have the same type of egos. It's a human nature thing. It had to me, I think where Martellus was wrong was saying that this is football's fault and this is football's problem when really it's more a human a, problem. of a human problem. <laughs> right. And it's not even, it's not even specific to America. Like you go anywhere in the world and you have power and yeah. you have money and you have success. You're going to have people that have egos and that want to be the center of attention because it makes them feel good. And people like feeling good and having that attention and having people care about what they do and what they say. And, feel important like that's a human thing and and to me I, I felt like 
while a lot of the stuff he was saying was true about football, it was also true about everything. So for him to paint this brush like football is bad because yep. it makes these small d- heroes and it makes coaches that are full of themselves like, yeah, that's human nature. Yeah. No, I don't think you're wrong. You're, you're absolutely right. The weird part about the around the sport and the coaches is that their outside shell and what is actually amplified is the exact opposite of that. They're like, oh, they're the people with no egos. They're the team players. They're the ones looking out for everybody's better good. They're the ones keeping things in order. And I think the point he's trying to make is what you think is actually not the reality. It's not the players who are the egotistical maniacs. It's what you've been taught by a lot of people. And he's right. You're, some of your favorite players aren't good people. That is that is another fact of the matter. But to your point, it's good. That's true across all entertainment yeah. or anybody with public public uh yeah you know affinity. I had a lot of my friends outside of the NFL world that sent me this article and Martellus Bennett's comments, and they were kind of looking to me going, you know, is this true? And (laughs) what I said back to all of them, is this true? Are you an asshole? And I'm like, yeah, I am an asshole. Me and Hawk were jerks. But the the comment I wrote back to everybody was, when I went from high school to college, I felt like in college, a lot of the college players had these huge egos. They thought they were awesome. And they were full of themselves. And most of them kind of stunk, never saw the field, certainly weren't all Americans. And most of them didn't make it to the NFL. And so I felt like there was a lot of guys in the college game that were jerks, even though I felt like overall my teammates at Wisconsin were great people. They were great human beings. They were great teammates. They were great football players. But when I got to the NFL, I felt like there was even fewer jerks. There was even fewer guys that were full of themselves because, by and large, I think a lot of the guys that have a lot of talent in high school, they get to college and they're not willing to put in the work because they think they've already arrived. And a lot of times that leads to those big egos. And then because you don't put the work in with the potential, you're never able to make the jump to the NFL. And I think, by and large, the guys that are in the NFL are guys that have put in the work and have the talent, and because they were willing to put in the work, they've humbled themselves. And so I thought, actually, in the NFL, there was a lot more good dudes than there was in the college game. So I would push back and say, actually, by the time you get to the NFL, you're a lot more humble than the guys that I experienced that were five stars that were coming in uh, to the college game that a bunch of uh, college coaches have been pumping them up during recruiting, telling them how great they were before they'd done shit. Yep. Potential is just a French word for you ain't done shit yet. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that in the dictionary, but that's what it, it is. Did, I did. I remember learning that in French class. No, I think you're right, man. I think the, the, the other, the one part, the other part about Martel has been its tweet thread that I agreed with that we've talked about to, to really play the game of football. You have to have some, effed up wiring a war- in your head. There's a warrior mentality. There's a toughness that you have to have to be willing to go smash skulls with another human every single day yeah, of the year, and I just don't, about. I don't think people realize that, that even the, the meek version of, oh, that's little five seven Andrew Hawkins. Like, I don't think people realize, like, you, you really – to play NFL football over and over and put yourself – and I don't think – you know, it looks cute on TV, and those are like car crash-level collisions – some of them are even worse than that, depending on how the you know you're coming, the angles and stuff like that. And you know that going into it, I from my experience, anyone who's played at that level, there is right. You know, you can hide it, you can put it, you can put it in certain positions, but there's something there. Yeah. Especially if you've had any level of success there, like there's a wiring yeah. that you that people don't understand is not normal for well, all humans. There's a cutthroat mentality right. of any business 
across the world. If you want to be the best of the best, you got to have this competitive fire that burns inside of you, a cutthroat nature that drives you and motivates you to do more than everybody else in your field that provides you the ability to go on and be the best of the best, yeah. to be an NFL player, to be a pro bowler like you were multiple times. Yes, 17,000. When you couple that – when you couple that with a violent sport like football is, which puts you into that parasympathetic fight or flight mode at all times, because you know on any play, this could be the last time yep. I ever walk on the face of the earth. Like, you have to get your mindset to a certain level that is a little bit caveman. Yeah. I'm going to I'm gonna you know, put it out there, but, you know, some guys have a hard time when they walk off that field turning that off. Yes. And we've seen it, and that's why a lot of guys, they struggle in retirement, and they NFL players probably maybe a little bit more than the regular human population struggle with some of those violence, some of those addiction problems, some of those – bankruptcy things that we've seen professional athletes deal with throughout time. And now that's a very complex Pandora's box that I don't want to open up why the reasons Mm -hmm. are that NFL retired players sometimes have more issues than the regular population. But I think the guys that struggle to kind of turn that switch off and realize, like, I got to go home and be a human being. I can't be this warrior that I am on the football field. I think that's why there are some issues. But something that you touched on that I don't want to jump into too much, but um, you talked about people being fake and and kind of putting up this charade. I think for a long time there's been a charade in the front office and with coaches and with ownership in the NFL of, oh, do what's best for the team, take less money, just shut up and do your job, just fulfill your contract, where as soon as that coach tells you that or that general manager tells you that, they're going to go and be a shrewd businessman when it's their turn to try to get their money and when it's their turn to do what's best for themselves. They're not thinking about their team first. And so I think it's finally come around where there's more balance, and I think that's why you heard Deshaun Watson doing what he's doing, but then you hear these old-school guys in the NFL, coaches and players like you know Brett Favre and coaches like Dick Vermeil saying, well, he should just shut up. He's making too much money to have an opinion. No, the, the, the quarterback's the most important person in the entire franchise. I don't yeah. care if you're the head coach. I don't care if you're the general manager. I don't care if you're the left tackle or the slot receiver. Nobody's even close to more responsible for the success and failure both on the field and financially than the quarterback. So if you're an employee with that type of a leverage, to not be able to use that leverage to be able to not only try to find a way to win as much as you can, but to hold your, your team – and your franchise accountable if they're uh, not holding up their end of the bargain. Dude. And that's all Deshaun Watson is doing is saying, hey, I'm holding up my end of the bargain. If you're not willing to hold up your end of the bargain, I'm going to exercise my leverage as the most valuable, yes. most important person in this franchise to try to make sure that wherever I go, maybe it's here, maybe it's somewhere else, that they hold up their end of the bargain and I'm going to hold them accountable, which I think is the only fair way to do that. And things. it's such a weird thing for like, it's not how regular life works. I mean, I'm, I've, I've been working for a company for years and thank God for the company I have. I have people there that have like, you know, leaned into me. Um, and but it's 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 been a process like a turning some of that wiring off when someone is screwing you over and you know it because you there's a certain way you've handled it as a football player that like I'm very to the point. I'm very candid. Like 
I don't feel awkward. I'd say like I'm 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 comfortable with being uncomfortable. You know what I mean? And that's not normal for other people. And then to your point, in those same situations of business, I we come from a school of thought in football to where when you put the stats up, you get rewarded. And it's very clear as day. Hey, this is what I did. This is this is what I've done and this is what I'm I'm due, right? This is this shows my value to what I've done here. And in regular life, in regular world of working, they don't it's the opposite. They do everything they can to make it look like that is not a value or it wasn't a big deal, you know? And so for people like us that are very clear of like, yo, did you make the catch or not? Did you make the block or not? Did you make the did you did you, did you make the throw or not? Oh, we see it. And we all say, yes, we all know you made the throw. Here's what happens after that. In the regular world, it does not happen that way. And it is kind of a fucked up place to be, man. <laughs> you know, it's interesting, the double standard that we've always had with sports. And and I understand why, because, like, we always wanted to hold up sports with a much higher standard because everybody's living their daily life, you know, going through the drudgery of their job. And they want to be able to turn off that drudgery and have this romantic view of sports that it's just a bunch of dudes playing a kid's game because they just love the game. And there's none, none of the ugliness of day-to-day business life that you have to deal with when you're an employer and you're dealing in the working world like the regular joe like me and you we don't want to think about that when we're watching our favorite team right um but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist right and i'll, I'll take you my, my father-in-law i love the guy greg nelson great man worked for 3m for a bunch of years he had like eight or nine patents um mm. and he was a really really important member of the 3m scientist culture right because he was like the only dude in his division that had these patents and that knew the important parts of the auto hailer for like the asthma inhaler right uh-huh. like he was that dude and so they needed him but being a smart guy he he didn't need to get paid more but what he wanted was um more freedom like, because that was what made him happy. And he realized he was the most important employee in that sector of the company. So instead of going in and asking for money, what did he do? He just decided in the summer, I'm going to take ungranted stock options and just not show up to work on any Fridays because I'm going to go golfing. Because that's what I want to do. And I know I have the leverage over my employer because they have to have me. Right. And so this idea that like football players, when they have that leverage and that value within their organization should just shut up and play their game and not uh, enact a little bit of that leverage to try to hold their employer accountable and get some of the things that they see as important to success within that franchise. I think it's, it's, it's hypocritical at best. And I don't know what's worse than that. So there's three things you need from an employer. And this is true of every, every industry. Is it making you more money than you would get anywhere else, right? You would argue for Deshaun Watson. Deep thoughts no. with Hawk, I love You're it. You're not making more money here than you would make anywhere else, and you have a market for people that would, would pay the same price, right? Even if you work, again, at the the local gym, it's the same thing. Is this making you more money? Is this making you better at your job? Are you learning something here that you wouldn't learn anywhere else? Um or three, is it is it helping you create more value here than you would create somewhere else? If all three of those things is not it, it's time to move on. That's anybody with any job. Is it making you more money? Is it making you better? Or is it creating more value for you in the marketplace to put yourself in position to be, be in those places? If those three things are, are absent and you're wondering right now if you're in a job that you shouldn't be at, and you lose all three of those, it's time to move on. That's where Deshaun mm. Watson is at. It's not making him more money he'd get somewhere time to else. Move on. It's not making him a better player, and it's not upping his value. It's doing the opposite because the players around him aren't where they need to be. So yeah, 
they keep getting rid of the players around exactly. them that are actually good that are helping them win because of poor management. So leave, Deshaun. Don't feel bad about it. Get the hell out of there. <laughs> All right. Uh, we got to move to Super Bowl. We should Bowl. probably talk about the Super Bowl. Yeah. And we'll go quickly. Jinx. I'm, I'm going I'm to go to Nat first because I want to hear her prediction of the Super Bowl. I need the a big score. Chiefs fan. She's a big Chiefs fan. I need a score and I need a prediction. Give me a wacky prediction in the game oh. that has a small chance of happening, but you think it just might. <laughs> okay. Two so truths and a lie. Obviously, obviously, Chiefs, they're going to win. Um, score prediction. Ugh, I suck at these. I'm like so off every time I try to predict Yeah, the you're score. the only person that can't guess the score correctly every time. <laughs> um, let's go 32. It's going to be a little high scoring. 32, 27. Uh-huh. 32. 27. All right. Nice. Chiefs and then excited to watch that game. My weird prediction, I'm going to say Tom Brady is going to throw an interception on the opening drive. Oh, Ooh, I like that. <laughs> Brady hater. Brady hater. You know, oh, it's gonna, I'm putting it out there. I love it. Speaking of people who hate Tom Brady, Joe, you are up. Give me your prediction, <laughs> the score, and, uh, and, yeah. and uh, who wins the game. Yeah, there's there's going to be a lot of fireworks in this game. The Chiefs are going to win 34 to 30. Matt was pretty darn close mm. with her score estimation, uh, just a little low. And you know, th- there's so many storylines in this game. But I don't know if you've felt the same way I did. Like doing the shows this week, it's like everybody in America knows exactly where the weaknesses on both of these teams. Like, all right, well, we know we have to bracket Ty- Tyreek Hill because he killed us in the first game. We know we can't allow big zone coverage holes for Travis Kelsey, so we got to hit him at the line of scrimmage. We know the Chiefs are missing both their offensive tackles, and the Buccaneers have good pass rush off the edge, so the Chiefs are going to have to come up with some creative ways to try to help those tackles at the line of scrimmage. Uh, We know Tom Brady struggles against Steve Spagnuolo with pressure up the middle, so we expect Chris Jones to have a big game. It's like, I'm almost bored of these storylines, so I'm going to give you a different one, right? So, Patrick Mahomes is going to rush for 50 yards, and they're actually going to have over 150 yards rushing in this game. Oh. So much attention is going to go to stopping the Chiefs' air attack that Andy Reid is going to mix it up a little bit, and he's going to dial up a few runs, especially in the first half. He's going to really get that running game going with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, and it's going to force the Bucks defense to try to load the box, and that's going to be a bad thing in the second half as Tyreek Hill is going to explode for over 150 yards passing in the second half alone. Mm, I like that. Okay, so I'm going to go with – I like that 34 number. I don't want to copy your work, though. Don't touch it. Okay. Go 33. I'm going to go I'm going to go 41 to explosive fireworks. Yeah. Yeah, we're going we're going up there. 41 to 30 and Antonio Brown Chiefs win and Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell score a touchdown. Wow. Wow, crazy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you really That is a crazy. <laughs> knocked my socks off. I don't think Le'Veon Bell has scored yet with the with the Chiefs. Well, I think that about does it yeah. for this uh, Super Bowl preview where we spent five minutes talking about the Super Bowl. <laughs> uh, but hopefully we get opportunity next week to kind of revisit all these crazy prognostications and see who was right and who was wrong. All right. I think that does it. Final thoughts, Joe? Final thoughts are uh, I hope that in the Super Bowl we are just blown away with all the crazy things that 
nobody thinks are going to happen. I hope it's super low scoring. It's <laughs> three to zero. There is no no problem on the edges with the Kansas City Chiefs. There is no pass rush on Tom Brady, and just all the things that we think are improbable happen, so that uh, we don't fall asleep when exactly what happens, what we think is going to happen, happens. We might do just a whole show to analyze the Super Bowl commercials. That might be our show next week. We do a, a, a complete breakdown of Super Bowl commercials. Nat, take us out. Joe, hawk yourself. <laughs>